0: It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word Broomgate. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the
1: Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android App Store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know any time that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, guys? Time to close the book on the NFC West and our friend from The Athletic in Seattle, Michael Sean Dugar, will be with us here uh, in just a few moments, uh, can't tell you how much I, I enjoy this. I know that I mention it all the, all the time. It's kind of uh you know kind of beating the point into the ground, and I apologize. But favorite time of the year as a, as a podcaster, uh, as we move on through this this uh, this desolate wasteland of of the off season, uh, between the draft and the uh, start of the training camp and preseason, uh, and everything, and uh, was very happy to have my first. Uh, writer from the Athletic uh, on the show, and my Mike uh, Mike Dugar was the was the one that honored me with his uh, with his knowledge of the Seattle Seahawks, and um, he makes a really great argument towards the end of our conversation for Justin Fields playing right away because he was kind of like he kind of lumped in um, Trey Lance with. Uh, Justin Fields as like, these are guys, you know, they're going to be the future. Jimmy Garoppolo's not going to be your guy in the future. Andy Dalton's not going to be your guy in the future. Put them out there. They can learn and play at the same time uh, and things like that. And it's, it's gone a lot of way, a long way. Uh, with our guests kind of chipping at my thought of let's be patient, let's put Justin Fields out there. We don't want to put him out there too soon. Throw much too at him, too much, too much at him too soon, uh, and you know, kind of ruin him and blah 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 blah. Uh, you know, mostly because not so much because of the great argument that he makes, and he does make a great argument. It's been the enthusiasm of literally everyone that we've spoken to so far and the other interviews that I have in the can uh, already – um, everybody's excited to see Justin Fields and when he's going to be out there, uh, and playing, especially the Cincinnati and Ohio or Cincinnati and Cleveland, uh, you know, with him being an Ohio state guy, uh, and things like that, all looking forward to seeing when he's going to be out there, uh, and things like that. And it's just kind of chipped away at me being the, you know, the cooler head and, you know, let's be patient. Let's do this the right way. Cause once he has the job, it's going to be his forever and all that kind of stuff. Put him out there, you know. Put him out there when he's ready. Don't want to rush him. We can trust Andy Dalton. We can win uh, with Andy Dalton, and you know, blah blah blah. It's just, it's, it's all kind of melted uh, away. Their excitement and you know their arguments <laughs> on putting him out there have kind of uh, you know worn me down, and, and now I'm on the whole, you know, if Justin Fields doesn't start week one, why are we even doing kind of thing? So. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and and get to the uh, to the interview with with Mike, and uh, you know, so we can get to his reasoning for why Justin Fields should be out there ASAP uh, and everything else. So it's uh, this is the finale of the NFC West opponent preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang on. And to wrap up our journey through the NFC West, we finished with last place. Or excuse me, with last year's first place uh, finisher. That would be the Seattle Seahawks. And here to help us preview the 2021 uh, Seattle Seahawks from the Athletic in Seattle, uh, Mike Dugar. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show, man.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: So, Mike, let's uh, let's talk about this team because it's it's been quite a roller coaster over the last you know year and a half or so. Uh, well, actually, it's just over the last year. Uh, the 2020 starts off. They're 5-0. and They, they go into the bye with an undefeated record. Then they lose, you know, like three out of the next five games and then finish with four straight wins before losing a home game uh in the in the wild card round I mean it was uh the beginning of the season there was no team better than the Seahawks Russell Wilson is the surefire MVP because he threw like 50 touchdown passes in the first five games they're just decimating uh, uh opposing defenses and then you go through that bump in the middle of the season and then the schedule lightens up at the end before the collapse in the playoff game I mean what was 2020 like up close and personal
2: Uh, very, very confusing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the mixture of the no fans, I mean, 2020 as a season, uh, beyond what happened on the football field, I mean, you got, um, everything going on with race and police violence. Right. And then you have a pandemic and then it's like, okay, here's football. Okay. We here's football with no fans and no real in-person interaction. It has all these protocols. Um, and it, it, and then on throw on top of that on, uh, with an election year, mm. like it was just, just a lot to, to process and, mm. and cover and again, yeah. people losing, losing the jobs and you got all the vitriol all over like different, like, again, uh, Democrat, uh, Democratic and Republican parties. Like it was a lot. And then you throw on a season actually on the field that was like confusing because it's like, who's really pulling the strings on the Seahawks offense? Yeah. You know, and then who's pulling the strings on a Seahawks defense? Because within that recap that you just had, I would add that the defense was trash. Right, right. yeah. You know, a, a defense with a, a led by Pete Carroll sucked. And, a, and an offense led by Pete Carroll threw the ball a lot. And it just didn't make any sense for about eight, nine weeks. It really did not. Um, and then they started to run the ball a little more, a smidge more in the second half of the season. And the defense got better in the second half of the season. And it was like, oh, okay life is starting, you know, to make sense a little bit. Uh, so that was kind of like in totality, kind of how I look at the, the season in big picture. It just there was a lot going on, and it was very confusing for most of the season. Albeit entertaining, but still yeah. just a little puzzling because you didn't know who was really, like what identity does this team want to have? And it makes sense that they then fired the OC because he did not agree with the identity. So like when Schadenheimer got fired at the end, Mm-hmm. It kind of made sense to me. It was like, oh. And then they cited in the press release philosophical differences. I was like, yes, that makes sense. You could tell that this was not a Pete Carroll team.
3: Yeah, It
2: was not. It was a Brian Schottenheimer and Russell Wilson team. And that worked for a little bit, but you could tell the guy highest up the food chain wasn't having it, which is why Shotty got the boot.
1: Right and 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 I was going to get to the to the defense because it was like Russell Wilson had to throw four or five touchdowns a game for those first five weeks because the defense gave up 25, 30, 31, 23 and 26 and they won all five of those games somehow because Russell Wilson was lights out for the first five weeks Uh, of the year I mean and then they come back from the bye they score 34 but Arizona scores 37 so the defense didn't really learn everything anything over that that bye week the you know 37 27 over the 49ers who had overall last season had a lot of trouble scoring points because they had no quarterback or they had an every new quarterback every week because everyone was going down they were losing running backs to injuries and things like that but they still managed to score 27 on their defense, but thank God Russell Wilson and the offense managed to score 37 in that one. I mean, it's just going through the first what ten games of the season. The lowest defensive output was 23 when they beat the uh, when they lost to the Rams, like week ten, and in a losing effort, they they gave up their lowest point total of the season thus far.
2: Yeah, well, the defense. I mean, they couldn't rush the passer. Right when you can't rush the passer, you're gonna suck. I yeah. just don't really think there's a way around that. I mean, you, you add some injuries to Jamal Adams and uh, injury to Shaquille Griffin in that week seven loss to Arizona, uh, Quentin Dunbar getting hurt and week two. Um, that that didn't help, but I really think it was just like they. Uh, so, for example, this will probably stay at best. In that week seven loss to Arizona, uh, Kyler had 50 dropbacks, and I think Seattle had like zero quarterback hits. Oh, wow. Which is probably the worst pass rush performance I think I've ever seen. Like legitimately, not even hyperbole. Like that's a lot of dropbacks, it's a lot of opportunities to hit a guy and you don't hit him at all. I mean, I think like he got hit on his scrambles, but I mean, a like QB hit is on the pass. So I don't think there was any quarterback hit on, in that game. And that was, and then they traded for Carlos Dunlap right after that. Like it was like, all right, this is enough is enough. This is, this is atrocious. So, um, I, I think that really lets you know how bad things were. Uh, seven weeks into the
1: season, so was it just that the schedule lightened up in those last five or six games because their defensive output got a lot better in this last six games? a twenty-three to seventeen over Philly, uh, they lost to the Giants, but it was seventeen to twelve, so another low-scoring uh, effort. Only three points to the Jets, no big shock there. But they beat Washington twenty to fifteen. They beat the Rams twenty to nine, and then you know the Forty ers managed to score twenty-three on them at the end of the. Of the season, was there a defensive philosophy? Was it a change Did Carlos Dunlap really helped that much? What went different in the last six games or so, where the defense was actually showing up a bit?
2: Uh, the quarterbacks got a little suckier. And that definitely helped. <laughs> um, I think in that back stretch, they played probably like five QBs who aren't even starters uh, anymore. Sure, uh, yeah. like Colt, Colt McCoy. Uh, well, I guess Wentz is still a starter, but like they definitely nobody. They're not starters for their uh, same team anymore. So right, Goff. Is Goff, whoever was starting for the Niners, maybe Mullins, uh, Colt McCoy, Carson Wentz, and then Dwayne Haskins. They had that in the stretch, and that's that's a bunch of dudes who ain't even on. They suck so bad they're not even on the team. Right. Um, I, Mullins might be, but you get the point. Yeah. Uh, so that 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 helped. That was definitely part of why they turned things around defensively. They got Jamal Adams back. He missed a lot of that stretch. Okay. Like four or five games. Uh, so getting you know your Pro Bowl safety who was one of the best pass rushers in the league last year, legitimately. I think he was, like, top 12 in sacks Um, and for only playing, like, 12 games. So that helped. And then, yeah, getting Carlos lap up. Just like how if you don't have a pass rush, you'll stink. If you do have a pass rush, you have a really good chance to be good, you know. So I think that the combination of all three of those things made them legitimately, like, a top two or three defense in the back half of the season.
1: Yeah, you preach to the choir man. You you're talking to a guy who is a, who's a Chicago Bear fan. In 2018 we got a guy called Khalil Mack and all of a sudden we went from, you know, a middle of the road defense that was improving to all of a sudden having a top 5 uh, defense that was suffocating quarterbacks literally overnight so yeah I, I understand the value of a pass rush and it's like our secondary which was pretty good on its own all of a sudden was one of the most blanketed secondaries uh, in the league at least for that one season in 2018 they were absolutely everywhere with interceptions Eddie Jackson was all world and things like that and in these last two seasons 2019 and 2020 we struggle with our pass rush Eddie Jackson can't tackle anybody. He's nowhere near interceptions and things like that. So everybody always wonders you know, that chicken or the egg theory with the pass rush and the secondary, which one helps both. And they, they really just help each other because you know, the secondary will help the pass rush. The pass rush will help the, the secondary. And there's no, you can make the argument either way about which one, which one drives the engine on improving the other.
2: Yeah. I lean towards, I think, you know, pressure definitely bursts pipes. I like, it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the ball gets out so fast today. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's just gotten out fast before. I shouldn't say today. But um, you just look at how fast the ball gets out. And if you can make bad things happen when the ball does get out, um, something that happens more often, Yeah. Um, then, I, then I think you're, you're, you're in a really good spot. Now, as we saw with the Chiefs, uh, in the Super Bowl, like if you if your quarterback is under duress, it doesn't matter if he's Superman, right? If the other team's going to struggle, um, but at the same time, Mahomes was making throws. Like he hit two dudes in the hands in the end zone. Yeah, you know, in in the Super Bowl, like they just they sure did drop the ball literally. So, uh, so I I think they do work hand in hand. If I was going to build a defense first, I'd probably start with elite DBs. Like if you, if I had a draft, um, and I was like, are you? I can't have any defensive players. I'd give me the. I probably, my first two picks would probably be the two best corners, mm-hmm. uh, outside corners. And then I'd, I'd fill in, and then I'd go to the, to the D line. Part of it is, like I said, if you can make bad things happen when the ball does come out, it's great. Uh, and then corners don't come off the field, you know, in a perfect world, Jalen play, Jalen Ramsey for the Rams plays a hundred percent of snaps. Aaron Donald does not. Right. I just map game, uh, at that point. If I get more, if I get more snaps from you, I can increase the likelihood that you make bad things happen for the offense. Sure. So it's not to say pass rushes are relevant. Of course it is. Again, right. Aaron Donald, great. But uh, I, I do think if I had to, the, I don't know if the pass rush is the chicken or the egg in this regard. But right. like I said, if I was building, I'd probably start with uh, the best guy, best cover guy in the league, and then take the second best cover guy too, because they're putting three receivers on the field at a time. So I need yeah. to be able to lock them all, lock them all up.
1: Yeah, because you need like three or four good corners and to 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 have success uh, in the NFL, uh, these days, you know, they're throwing the ball at least 70% of the time in most cases. So yeah, secondary is definitely important and they're playing a lot more nickel packages, uh, these days. And, you know, you've got your hybrid players coming along the linebacker slash safety that, uh, you know, we haven't quite given a name to, we're going to have to name that position one of these days. Cause you know, he's not a linebacker or a safety, but he's playing both, uh, positions. We're going to have to find a name for that position some point, but, uh, you know, I, I I tend to agree that the secondary helps the or that I would probably go secondary over pass rush just because in most cases, like you mentioned, the ball's coming out so fast. So a lot of secondary or excuse me, a lot of pass rushers don't have the time they need to get to the quarterback, no matter how good uh, they are. So the secondary can be there to disrupt the ball if it does manage to come out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I really don't I really want to make it clear pass rush really, really matters. Like you're splitting hairs here when you choose. (laughs) That's why I said it's a tough
1: argument to have because you could definitely, uh, you know, you can definitely swing it both ways. And you can actually kind of, you know, in the same argument, argue for both sides and not really even realize it.
2: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I would never really ignore uh, one side or the other, uh, to to be honest. The thing about the other thing about um, corners is that, like, yeah, the really great ones take the ball away, Mm -hmm. too. So like it's not just like pass deflections or whatever, but even then like deflections uh, can lead to you know other you know turnovers and stuff by like, interceptions and stuff. But I mean, you look at Seattle's biggest play in, um, in franchise history is a pass deflection first by Sherman uh, that ends up getting intercepted against the Niners in the NFC Championship. Right. Uh, but the other thing is because the other the other team's best player is probably going to be received, right? and if you can just take him out the game, oh man. That changes everything. I mean, look at the, the Seahawks and the Rams are such a good example in the last uh, two, two years. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, the last, like, two years. DK Metcalf is a monster. Yeah. And, you know, look how he's built. Look how big he is. Look how strong he is. Look how fast he is. Look how high he can jump. And Jalen Ramsey can do all that, too, right? And so, and so what happens? The, the Seahawks offense looks like crap against the Rams every year. Since mm-hmm. the Seahawks have played the, – since the Rams traded for Jalen Ramsey, Russell Wilson has looked just pedestrian. Against those guys, right? He's lit him up when they've had Aaron Donald. The difference in Aaron Donald. The difference is having someone to take away DK.
3: Yeah.
2: Like you just look at, the, like, they're a really good case study. And like I, one hand washes the other for sure. But look at how that defense in particular was able to stifle Seattle specifically. And like, it's the addition of Jalen. Jalen just changed everything for them.
1: Uh, speaking of which, you know, stifling the Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, Offense. That's what happened in that uh, in that wild card game. Uh, I wouldn't call it the world's biggest upset, but I think it was a surprise that the Rams uh, came away with the with the road win in in Seattle uh, like that. When the season series, I mean, just two weeks before, the the Seahawks dominated twenty to nine and won uh, at home. And and here they are. They come right back to the scene of the the crime, and it's a thirty to twenty uh, win for the Rams, and they move on to the next round and. The you know the rumblings of Russell Wilson and his unhappiness and everything kind of began with that game.
2: Uh, I would call it a surprise for sure. I forget yeah, the, I was like, definitely what, surprised what
1: the, what the line was.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean they were. It was the fact that they had just beaten them. The fact that they were starting John Walford. Right, yeah? like they were starting That's John right. Walford in a playoff game at home in Seattle. <laughs> Seattle had never lost a, a home playoff game under Pete Carroll um, in like ten years. Or something wow,
1: like I didn't that. know that.
2: Yeah, because they won the every time they won. They would end up losing on the road. So that year they were seven nine. They lost to the Bears. That was in Chicago. Right. Um, and then they lost uh, Super Bowl. They lost at Atlanta in Russ's rookie year. And their other losses are like at Atlanta again. The year they go to the Super Bowl at the Panthers. The year they go to the Super Bowl, and then at Dallas in 2018, and then at Green Bay in 2019. So they've always they had always lost on the road. So you're yeah. talking about a team that had never lost a playoff game. At home under their current regime, playing against you know a defense that was on fire entering the playoffs, going against a backup quarterback uh, that they you know so there was that was super that was very much a shock yeah. that they that they looked the way they did, and I think the, the the they had beef, um, Russ and like the the front office and stuff. They've had like a little friction behind the scenes the whole time because you know Russ every year they don't make the playoffs or make the Super Bowl, Russ gets pissed. Yeah. I like, uh, Russ expects to be in the Super Bowl every year. And while that's crazy as that sounds, <laughs> you got to look at it from his view. His rookie year, they go to the divisional round. His second year, they go to the Super Bowl and they win. The third year, they go to the Super Bowl and they win. Um, the his fourth year, they make it to the divisional round again. Uh his fifth year, they make it to the divisional round again. Uh, if I'm doing the math right. Yeah. So like he expects deep playoff. Right? That's just kinda how he gets down, right? I mean he looks at somebody like Tom Brady, who is seemingly in the Super Bowl every year. So he's just like, Why not? If he can do it, why can't I do it? That's just kinda his mindset. So he wants all of the pressure on him. He would he would like more support and more input and just more of a burden, I guess, in the offense. And every year he doesn't get there and they don't advance, he gets pissed. Yeah. So I think he had it uh it's been building up. Now for quite a while, but I think the loss to the Rams really just was like, what What are we doing here, guys? Like, yeah, why 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 are we not winning? Like I threw forty touchdowns this year. Like we should, we should. There is no way in hell we should look like this. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was, pretty pissed.
1: Well, I mean, it caused quite a stir here in the Midwest when, when that uh, when that list of, of teams uh, came out, and and looking at the um, reasoning. Uh, you know, like, here's why New Orleans can't do it. They don't have the salary cap space. They can't do this. The Raiders already have Derek Carr and blah, 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 the Cowboys and just signed Dak Prescott, or at least they're going to. So that leaves the Bears. We don't have a quarterback we uh, or anything like that, and that leaves them, you know, with the best position there. And uh, the Bears made an offer. I never really heard what that offer was, but I heard it was one that probably would have made me sick to my stomach as far as what they were willing to give the Seahawks to to bring Russ into town, but uh, you know it doesn't happen. Uh, the uh, Chips fall the way that they do when we end up with, uh, with Justin Fields, which was best-case scenario, in, in my opinion. But uh, you know, if, if there was anybody in all the, pe- all the teams, or quarterbacks, excuse me, that the Bears were attached to, and that was the most embarrassing part of the offseason was anyone who was even semi-available was attached to the Bears at one point, and it was like a quarterback of the week thing. Carson Wentz, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, you name it. The Bears were connected to him in one way or another, or there was a scenario where the Bears could make it happen. Here's where they have to give up to get him and all that kind of stuff. Of all the people that we were, quote-unquote, attached to, Wilson was the guy that I wanted. If we had to mortgage the future to get somebody, Russ was the guy. And, and Because I felt like out of all those guys that we were talking about there, he was the one that could elevate the people around him. Like I, That's what I see him doing. Uh, in Seattle and that uh, he could bridge the gap between mortgage, giving up three first rounders and whatever second rounders and things like that. He could help us bridge the gap between the talent we wouldn't have before we could finally go out and get him some help um, as oh, as opposed to the other quarterbacks I didn't think could do it as well as he could.
2: Yeah. There was no way Russ was getting trained to any of those. <laughs> things. Right. I just, I, I mean, he, he wasn't, I think, cause here's the thing. Carroll has no interest in rebuilding anything. It, yeah. Like, he really doesn't. He's trying to win right now and keep winning. And he knows that you've got to have a quarterback to do that. I mean, uh, you mentioned that it was like QB of the week for the Bears this offseason. I honestly think that's how it should go. I mean, even in, 20, in the, after the 2011 season in Seattle, they were real thirsty for a quarterback. Yeah. And they, they ended up paying Matt Flynn, but they were they ran on Peyton Manning. The Seahawks like flew a jet. To wherever Peyton Manning was hosting his uh, offseason visits from teams, they flew there like unannounced and like hit him up like, "Yo, hey, we here." He's like, "You're where?" It's like, we're in Denver or Arizona or wherever the hell he was. He was like, nah, I'm 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 good." Uh, so like, they got left on red pretty much like flying a private jet to a dude unannounced. So I mean, if they were that thirsty, I mean, I don't I don't fault the Bears for being in on everything. I mean, the yeah. Panthers were too. Panthers and Broncos were in on everything this offseason. I can't run right. if you have a quarterback you're not going to win a Super Bowl. I don't really. I mean, that's. You probably not like the Philly got really lucky in like 2017 um having having foals basically be there like closer or like middle reliever or whatever yeah uh, that that season but for the most part you're you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl or even sniff one if you don't have a quarterback so you definitely should like uh turn over every stone trying to find one if you can. But there was no way in hell Seattle was going to make any trade for, like, picks and players that weren't quarterbacks. That's just kind of not how it worked. Yeah, that was the the one thing that we didn't have to bargain with. Yeah, the only thing that made sense for Seattle was, like, uh, if you just swap Russ and Dak, I guess, uh, you could do that. That actually would have made some sense for Dallas, because Russ would have been cheaper uh, than Dak, (laughs) because Russ would have already been given his signing bonus. So, Dallas would have been getting him for, like, three more years or something at, like, Twenty mil and some change plus uh, mm-hmm. for those years, which is actually great for them. And they're upgrading at quarterback too. Uh, Seattle would get a a younger you know, franchise QB that would have worked. Um, this is like pre Deshaun Watson allegation era, right? Uh, so a, a swap there probably would've, would've but would have would have worked. Because Seattle need the quarterback. They were never gonna. He was never gonna go to Chicago. He was never gonna go to New Orleans. Um, we did an exercise at the athletic where I played GM and had my peers submit trade proposals and they were absolutely disgusted. It was like, like our, our new Orleans guy offered me like Taysom Hill and a bunch of picks. I was like, God, no, get out of here. Like I'll get fired if I trade Russell Wilson and only get back. Taysen Hill. Yeah. You know, so it was, and, and none of those teams had high draft picks either. Yeah. You know, that's right. why the, in the initial reporting that me, Jason Jenks and Mike Sando did the list that we heard included teams like the Jets and Dolphins, um, and those would have made more sense for Seattle because it's like, all right, we're not getting a quarterback, but if you give us the number three pick, that's what Miami had at the time, Right? If you give us the number three pick, all right, we can work with that, right? We'll take whatever's left after Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. Oh, that's, that's doable. And if you trade the Jets, like, well, shoot, we'll take any non-Trevor quarterback in the draft. That, that's doable. Um, these other teams are not. What well, Chicago have, like, the 18th pick or 20th pick 20, or something. Yeah. Ra- yeah, Raiders are in the teams. I think. Uh don't know where were in the, the Saints
1: were. Or like mid twenties, I think.
2: Yeah, and then it was the other team the Cow- uh, Cowboys? Um, actually had a decent pick and could have swapped Dak, but I w- they weren't going to do that. Right? So yeah, it was. He was never really leaving unless it was to a team like Dallas or or, or Houston who could return a quarter a QB swap. Then i not interested in you know Andy Dalton and picks or whoever the hell else and picks. That's just kind of not how Pete Carroll and John were thinking.
1: Yeah, and the fly in the punch bowl for the for the Dallas Seattle thing was that Dak was a free agent. So he technically Dallas didn't didn't uh you know, for lack of a better term own him to trade him uh at that point. It would have to be like type a sign-and-trade type thing. trade. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and yeah, trade thing.
1: So, but um you know, like I said, it was it was quite the talk here for a while. And, of course, you know, rumors unsubstantiated, though they may have been, you know, about how close it was. And everyone started getting excited with the idea, including me, because it's like if, if there has to be a guy, that's the one that I would want. Out of all the people that we've been connected to, Russ is the, is the guy for me. That You know, I would love to see him uh, play for Chicago. I would love to see him and in his insane accuracy throwing deep balls to Darnell Mooney and just watching him light up the scoreboard. Uh, best they could. And, uh, you know, Russ was the guy. And it, but I also never got really attached to the idea like it was going to happen. It's just like, out of all of these scenarios, Russ is the one that I want over Deshaun Watson, over everybody. But I don't like Like you said, there's no way it was going to happen. I never believed that it would, even when the rumors came out that Pace had made an offer.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, you can make an offer all you want. That was the other thing. The Seahawks weren't like picking up the phone and be like, hey, who wants Russ? Like people right. were texting them and calling them. So right. They had no interest in, in trading uh Russ. That's why when Russ got up there in a post press conference like last week and was like, Yeah, you know, there was some chatter that they might trade me. I was like, uh, I think you started that. Yeah. Like or you know, like or whoever you know, I think Jason Lacanfora's tweet before the Super Bowl kicked that off. It's not like Seattle was out here like, hey yeah, nah, we got this Russ guy. We don't really want him. No, he said that Right. So uh, I, I think that you want to talk about chicken and egg. It's like, was it Russ, were you
3: responding to the trade? Did you
2: create? Um, did your camp create them? That's a legit uh, question there. So, yeah, I I, I I applaud the Bears for doing what they had to do. i reach out, call, offer the naming rights to the stadium, you know, <laughs> uh, a statue, whatever, whatever it took to try to get them. But yeah. I'm fa- fairly confident that John Snyder never took any of those
1: offers seriously, right? So we move on to the the free agency period, and was a lot of uh, comings and goings uh, for the Seahawks uh, this off season. Uh, for you know, you you guys want uh, Russ wanted some more help up front. He gets Gabe Jackson uh, after the Raiders for some reason decided to overhaul their offensive line, so he becomes available. He joins the uh, the Seahawks. Alden Smith, uh, in an effort to revive his career once again, is uh, in Seattle. Is he still with you guys? He hasn't done anything to get himself in trouble again, has he?
2: Uh, not that we know of. <laughs> um, to my knowledge, he's not he, he's not at uh, OTAs or anything. Okay, many he camps he probably probably won't be. Okay, um, but I, it'll be like an excuse absence. I mean, once you're once you're wanted for a crime, Seattle usually lets you you know right. stay away from work if you need to. Right. So I, I don't. Don't fault him there. Right. Yeah, he's still on
1: the team. Okay, well, I didn't mean it as a joke or anything. I legitimately, like you know, the guys could sneeze in the wrong direction. All of a sudden, he's in trouble with the law again. But uh, you know, just wondering if, if he was still around. Uh, a signing that I really like very much was Gerald Everett coming over from the from the Rams, the tight end uh, joining the uh, joining the team. And you know, we got another interesting guy in Akella Witherspoon coming through, and uh, another edge rusher in uh, Kerry Hyder from the 49ers. Uh, coming through as well. I mean, you know, what do you think of the the free agents that they had coming coming in? Which, I mean, aside from Everett, who I think is a day one starter for you guys, who else is going to be, really be helping out this year? Uh,
2: I mean, uh, on the pass rush?
1: Or just on the team in general. Like, who do you think will be maybe, like, the gem of the guys that they brought in so far?
2: Um, Good question. I think... I think Gerald has a chance to be impactful. Mm-hmm. So I think in the in the offseason, every team overestimates how much their running backs and tight ends will be used in the passing offense. Right. I mean, I just think that's just <laughs> what what we do. Um, I mean, not we. I don't think I'm included in that. I've I've kind of learned my lesson there. Like quarterbacks, like if you got good receivers, that's who the quarterback throws to. Right. Right. Like they they throw the tight end when there's no good uh, uh, other good options. Like you look at the teams whose tight ends really light it up, with the exception of Travis Kelsey, there's not a ton of other great options, you know, out there. You look at when Zach Ertz is killing it, it's like, yeah, it was supposed to be it. Aguilar, no. You know, uh, look at the Raiders, like, ah, okay, Darren is killing it. Okay, why? we will still it hundred Renfro.
0: You
2: know, mm-hmm. so I, I, I don't, I think that Gerald Tyson has to contribute. I don't think he'll like, kill it. Not because he's not talented. I just think that there's like a cap on, you know, tight end contributions on any team that has good receivers. I mean, any fantasy football player knows that like after tying in one, two and three, it's a drop off. You know, it, it's, it's always been that way. It's probably always going to be that way. Right. So I think my, if he gets a starting job and stays healthy, a Witherspoon is like, uh, like a sleeper candidate to be really impactful. Um, again, with corners, they don't come off the field. So like if he plays 17 games and stays healthy, he's got a really high ceiling, he's got a lot of talent. Just hasn't been healthy and out here playing with bad, bad quad. Uh, yeah, played with like a, a broken toe, I think, before. Like he just hasn't been able to get right along with some other injuries. Um, but at his best, he's been really good. know, um, when he's on the field and healthy, he's performed at a very high level. Gets his hands on the ball. He's very athletic. Uh, he's like 6'3". Um, very good at the line of scrimmage. Really strong cat. I think he's lifted like two hundred pounds, but the play is pretty strong. Uh, so I think of all the guys. He's the one that I would probably guess, excluding any draft picks, that would uh, like have potential to like pop off the screen in 2021.
1: And then, out of the guys you lost, Jerron Reed, uh, Quentin Dunbar, Carlos Hyde, Philip Dorsett, uh, Shaquille Griffin is that the younger brother or the older one, the corner?
2: Uh, Shaquille's. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so the same
1: age. Oh, that's right. They're twins. My bad. Um. Yeah, they are twins. Um, the the brother with with no hand. He was a linebacker, wasn't he? he was he? like a uh,
2: an edge,
1: an edge. Okay, all right. So that's the corner, Shaquille Griffin. He goes to Jacksonville. Um, and like I said, Jonathan Bullard. He was one of our old. He used to be a third round pick uh, for the Bears. He's off to Atlanta now. So out out of those guys, you know, who was it? Would it be Jaron Reed? I mean, was he very helpful with the pass rush last year? Is he going to be? Missed because out of pass rush guys, that's the one guy that's that's leaving as far as the defensive line goes.
2: Yeah, I think Jay Reed had like six sacks or something last year. He was mm. he was he was really good in the second half of the of the season. Um, I would say he is a big loss. Losing yeah. KJ Wright too, who's still a free agent, is probably the biggest loss. Right. I think because he was one of their best defensive players last year. I know he wasn't one of the three guys who made the Pro Bowl, but uh, he was. He was very, very impactful. He just couldn't make the Pro Bowl because he plays. Um, he was playing Sam linebacker. And so technically that's an outside linebacker. And then the voting for that, you're up against, like, Khalil Mack, right, playing right. You know, outside and 3-4. So yeah. you just kind of don't have a chance. Just, cause it's, it's weird because they don't play the same position at all. But, yeah. yeah. So I think uh, not having KJ back is probably – if I had to rank him, I'd say not having KJ, that's – to kill Griffin, too, just because they didn't really reload their corner. They right. don't have any corners uh, under contract beyond this year other than the rookie they just took, uh, Trey Brown in the fourth round. So that's, that's a problem. And then I would go Jay Reed. They just have other bodies on the D-line.
3: Um, mm.
2: you know, They, they have Daryl Taylor, who they drafted last year, uh, to play to be a rush-like edge guy. They brought in Kerry Hyder, like you mentioned. They, they re-signed Carlos Dunlap. Uh, they still have Puna Ford, who just got an extension. Uh, defensive tackle. Um, they brought back Benson Mayowa, who was one of their better pass rushers. They still have Jamal Adams rushing the passer at a high level. Um, L.J. Collier, the first round pick in 2019, was a full time starter last year. Um, so they they got bodies to rotate. And then not to mention if Aldon Smith like doesn't go to jail, um, he should be very good too. He had a really good year last year for Dallas. He did. Um, very limited pass rush reps because their defense stunk. So uh, they they got the they got the horses on defense. So not to say Jay Reed's not talented, I actually think he'll play really well in Kansas City this year, Mm -hmm. especially reunited with Frank Clark, his boy. Um, The last time Jay Reed had double-digit sack season, it was in 2018, playing next to Frank Clark, who also had double-digit sacks. So uh, I think Jay Reed will be good. It's just that they they were able to reload at that position, whereas they really didn't fill the holes uh, by losing KJ and Shaquille. So they're a little thinner at those spots.
1: Okay. That outside linebacker thing—you preach to the choir, man—because you're you're talking to a guy who had Lance Briggs on his team for twelve years, and he did not make as many Pro Bowls as he probably should have because he was listed as an out, outside uh, linebacker. Or, or actually, he made Pro Bowls. He didn't make All-Pro teams because he was an outside mm. linebacker. You know, he made plenty of Pro Bowls in his career, but list being listed as an All-Pro as one of the best of the best because there's only one All-Pro team, and he was never really ever on it because. He was an outside linebacker, and he was going up against, you know, the the pass rushers of the of the three four that were lighting up, you know, the um, Demarcus Wares of, of the league and things like that were were the ones keeping him out of those All Pro uh, lists because he's a stand up outside linebacker and not his hand on the ground uh, outside linebacker. So I I definitely was was feeling you when you were like, yeah, it's, it's not the same position, but they're somehow being voted against. Uh, one another so not exactly fair and i know exactly what you're what you're talking about there so this episode of the bears talk underground is brought to you by the spotify green room Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use, talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app, start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games, and of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android App Store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live, and of course, every Wednesday night, seven p.m. Central, eight o'clock Eastern, is when Club Thirty Four Seven hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys! You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know any time that I go live, because we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason, we'll be doing uh, knee jerk reactions during halftime, during the season, and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <coughs> this episode of the Talk Underground is brought to you by Kansas City Steaks. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to -to hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. These are steakhouse-quality steaks, Aged to perfection. They make it so easy, each order is flash frozen and delivered directly. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Enjoy their butter tender filet mignon, hearty Kansas City Steak strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's Kansas CityStakes.com code SD. <laughs> but you mentioned the draft picks. Trey Brown in the fourth quarter was one, four, excuse me, fourth round was one of three draft picks the Seattle Seahawks had because to hell with draft picks, we'll just trade them to get other guys on the team. Like you didn't have a first rounder because of the Jamal Adams trade. Uh, you No know, third rounder, no fifth rounder, no seventh rounder. So all even picks, second, fourth, and sixth round the top pick in the draft being for for you guys for the number 56 overall Dwayne Eskridge a wide receiver out of uh Western uh Michigan how is he going to be looked to contribute his first year on the in this in the on the team
2: um someone asked me it was like Mike what's a good a good like rookie year for Dwayne Eskridge and I was like thinking okay, okay let me factor in um you know how much snaps he'll get a number one number three receiver usually don't get a ton um he can play the slot and play outside, so that increases his chances a little bit, but still a rookie um, on a, what I would imagine will be a run-first offense in 2021. So I looked, and I was like, damn, if he just has a year like David Moore had last year, <laughs> that actually would be fine. And David Moore is now in Carolina, but I think – I don't have the numbers in front of me. But I think David went he's like 35 catches. Uh, I want to say anywhere between like 400 to 500 yards. Uh, he averaged, I want to say, like 17 yards a catch, so uh, Yeah, it was pretty high. And, uh, like, six touchdowns. And he was, like, third in passer rating when targeted among qualifying receivers. So, like, that's a really good year. Now, if he did that every year, like, that's some second round pick. But if he just did that as a rookie, that would be a decent, decent year because you're playing with Tyler Lock and DK. Just like I said about tight ends, we really overestimate what the third receiver is going to do, too. Like, <laughs> if you. If you get your two, top two guys healthy, you're probably, your third guy's not going to go crazy. Um, I know uh, Pittsburgh had three guys uh, put up decent decent numbers last year. Um, but I, I think that's, that's an outlier, uh, especially in a run-first offense, like I expect Seattle to have. So I think if Dwayne, yeah, I can anywhere from like 30 to 40 catches. We catch a six touchdowns. That's great. I mean, I think that's like Keenan Allen's career average of like six a year. So if he gets in the end zone six times, that, w- that would be really great uh if he, if he has a, a yards per catch somewhere above 15 i think that he'd be that would probably include making some really big catches too so yeah, i think that's a those are decent expectations i think for a second round guy who's like 59 um and he's got like 43 speed but you know there's an acclimation period so i, I think those are that's, that's probably the numbers i would throw uh, at Dwayne for his rookie year
1: even from uh you know a conference or is it um the, uh, it's not Conference USA. The conference that he's from. Is it Conference US? No, it's not.
2: No, it's like the MAC or something. Yeah, like it's the MAC. Mac.
1: Or, That's what it is. It's the MAC. Yeah, mid, what I don't know. Mid Atlantic or something like that. Mid Atlantic or. Yeah,
2: something. I don't really think, I don't really buy into that when it comes to, um, receivers, DBs, quarterbacks, um, I really just think that like you can just get skill guys pretty much anywhere, uh, like tight ends. If you're nasty, you're nasty. I, I don't think we need to get all like elitist about power five teams. Like sure. If you are, if you if you if, if you're nasty, go down to Senior Bowl, see if you're still nasty. Oh, you are. Okay, cool. We'll draft you. You know, <laughs> we'll get you coached up. Um, especially by the time you get to uh, an actual game. Because, like, in a traditional year, you get OTAs usually with your whole team. Um, you get mini camp with your whole team. You get four preseason games, you know, against other dudes who are trying to hit you hard. And then you get your regular season games. So it's like, but the guys still to take a while to adjust, but you, you, it's not like you go straight from playing at Toledo to playing against the Bears, right? Like, you, you do get some adjustment. And if you're nasty, like I said, you're, you're nasty. I mean, look at, there's been so many examples both ways. You got yeah. guys who played at Bama their whole life, or play. They played at the highest level, five star recruit, Bama national championship, get to the league, stink. And you get the do to like barely got any offers, D three transferred, ended up like one year at, like Wisconsin, and then get to the league and kill it, right? So I, I don't I don't read too much into where you went to college as long as you like were super nasty wherever we you're at.
1: Yeah, if if you have the talent, they'll find you no matter no matter where you are. I mean, you know that was just true back in the day as it is uh, today, and uh, you know you see it happen uh, all the time. I mean, the Bears have actually done a really good job over the last uh, several years with with like their day three guys, like Ryan Pace or whatever it has an ungodly touch in the fifth round, uh, Darnell Mooney, uh, Jordan Howard, um, you know, just. We've had like three or four major hits and he got Tariq Cohen, Eddie Jackson in the fourth round and and things like that. So so day three and we've had a few uh, undrafted free agents really, you know, come up. Bryce Callahan, uh, Roy Robertson Harris, who's with Jacksonville now, things like that. He's he's you know, if you have the talent, they'll be able to find you. Roy Robinson Harris went to UTEP, uh, Bryce Callahan went to Rice, you know, he'll find you even in those smaller non-power five schools if you have the talent they'll give you a shot it's up to you on what you do with it
2: yeah and it's not even necessarily about uh being sound because that's definitely not a problem mm-hmm. it's just performance yeah you know um there's been plenty there's been plenty of busts from the sec and been plenty of studs from the sunbelt yes. you know it just kind of kind of is is what it is you know yeah. once you because it's all about – I think it's more about what type of scheme you played and what position you played, too. Like, if you played center in a, in a pro-style offense, you know, where you had a lot of responsibility for checks and, you know, stuff. same thing if you're a Mike linebacker in a defense and you're really responsible for a lot of things and processing at a very high level, okay, that's, that's, that's important, right? Whereas if you were just a freak athlete and you were just running four routes, um, you know, you get to the NFL – so they're running a bunch of like option routes and stuff like that, and your timing is off with your quarterback. You might suck. So there's so many other variables I think that we can use to measure whether the kid's going to be good. Uh, that I would rank above what conference the dude played in.
1: Yeah, first one that came to mind when you mentioned you know went to Bama, five star recruit, uh, top draft pick, and didn't do a thing in the league. The first guy that came to mind was Trent Richardson, uh, the the running back. If, if, if he didn't win the Heisman, he came close to doing it or or whatever, drafted number three overall by Cleveland, had a decent rookie year, and then went off a cliff after that, even after being traded to the Colts, which is a really good football team at the time. He did nothing uh, for them, and then he, he went. I think he finished off in, in Oakland before finally disappearing uh, from the league. It's just like he was a here-today, gone-tomorrow player, but had had the charmed You know, upbringing from you know high school to college and high draft pick in the NFL. One of the last, one of the last top five running backs chosen for a while in the 2012 draft. It wasn't until we got to like Zeke in like 2016, 2017 before somebody felt comfortable taking a running back that high again.
2: Yeah, and I'm on the. I'm not on the positional. I'm not of the position that like or
1: of the opinion. Excuse me.
2: That any position is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so I would never say like running backs don't matter, but it's, I would fire the GM that takes a running back in the top ten. <laughs> like I just like you're done right yeah. then and there. Like I'm walking downstairs to the war room and like, hey man, get out. I'll handle the rest of the draft. You're done. The yeah. positional value is just not there. Right. It's comparable to other positions. It's not that running backs don't matter at all. It's that when you compare them to other positions. Just, the value is just not there. You can like the, I think the Panthers in 2019 are such a good. There's plenty of case studies that are good to do this, and like isolating one person doesn't tell the whole tale. But I do like using the 2019 Panthers. Look at what they had in McCaffrey. This was a dude thousand yards in the ground, thousand yards through the air, and I don't care about their wins and losses. Their offense sucked. Yeah, like independent of anything else, their offense was bad. With a very, very probably the best running back in the league that year, and their offense was still bad. He didn't transcend anything. Their offense still stunk.
1: He
0: was their if offense, the, yeah.
2: Right, and they still stunk. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you look at the other positions, when you have the best insert here, it's really hard for your offense to stink, right? <laughs> it really, it can It can still stink. You got the best left tackle, and your offense stinks or whatever. But if you're the best quarterback, or the best left tackle, hello, the best right tackle best center or the best, like, um, you know, best receiver, offense is going to – it probably won't stink. Now, it doesn't guarantee you win games. It's a team sport. Right. Which is, offense probably won't won't stink. Uh, that's just kind of uh, my thing on it. And it's just, like, the impact that you can have in terms of explosion is just so much better at the other positions. Like, if we're just talking offense, like, an av- what's a good yard per carry? You know, the yards per carry leader in every – Given season is probably what around like five something, probably 5.3. Probably, high four, win you high f-
1: yeah, high fours, low fives. Yeah,
2: yeah, probably when you the title like a, a, a bum of a receiver's 10, 10 yards a catch, sure, or like a, a great running back, like a great running back uh, out of the backfield, it's probably averaging like eight yards of uh, reception, maybe nine. Like, there's even when they catch the ball, like, it's low value reception. Like uh, you're not you're not moving the chains that much. It's just little dump offs and stuff like that. It was like a, you're, uh, a fourth round receiver can probably you know give you that at a fraction of the cost. It's just like in terms of the cost of the player, the positional value, what they actually bring you on the field when they are elite, um, and that's before you factor in that they they can't do anything with a battle line. Right. Like Russ has had battle lines and still been transcendent. Mm-hmm. Like. We've had receivers with bad quarterbacks and bad O-line be nasty and help their offense, like, thrive. Whereas, like, if your running back is trash, I don't care. Or, excuse me, if your O-line is trash, I don't care if you got modern-day Barry Sanders back there. You're just not going to get it done. You're not going to elevate your offense considering the cost. Like, I think you look at a lot of these uh running back contracts and their teams are going to start regretting these. Some of them already are. I mean, look, Le'Veon, terrible deal. Yeah. Todd Gurley, terrible deal. I'm glad all these brothers are getting paid, of course. I want everybody to get their money. Right. But yeah, again, I'd I'd fire a lot of these GMs. Like that Zeke deal is terrible. Yeah. That Kamara deal is terrible. Um, Dalvin Cook deal is terrible. Um, not to say these aren't good players, but like you look at what they contribute to the offense relative to the price tag versus what they could get in the draft for a fraction of the cost, yeah, it's just bad business.
1: Agreed, man. I mean, and I'm an and I'm a former offensive uh, former offensive lineman. I would still value an elite receiver or running back any day of the week. So, uh, as much as I would like to see more running uh, in there and and go back to the days of you know when I was a kid growing up watching guys like Walter Payton and Roger Craig and and those guys dominate uh, the game uh, and everything. You know today's NFL. It's I, I you know you got to take. You got to take the Julio Joneses before you before you take the Zeke Elliots every time.
2: Yeah, I, I look at uh, Brandon Staley. Uh, uh, what is he now? He's a Chargers head coach. Correct. Um, it was the Rams yeah. DC right. last year, and he had some really interesting quotes and uh, insight into his philosophy because he basically decided, and that uh, and this is a shift from what most people are doing. He decided, like, look, if you want to run it on us, we'll handle that later. But you ain't gonna throw it on us. You know, it's just math. He, yeah. he said it in an article to our Robert Mays at The Athletic. He was like, look, it takes a lot of four- and five-yard runs to equal up to a 40-yard pass. And it's like, it sounds revolutionary when you talk to some football coaches, like yeah, it's freaking basic math. If you stop a team from exploding on you uh, in the passing game, you are in- drastically increases the chances that you beat them. Yeah, It's just really just that simple. I know that in the trenches – Those guys, like, they'll tell you all the time, like, we're wearing them down with the run game, we're demoralizing them, like, with our ground attack. I feel you. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. You know what's also demoralizing? Fifty yard passes. Yeah. Like they they are. (laughs) You know, no 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 stifling offense.
1: Yeah, stifling offense for 15 plays and then have them go 60 on one. Play will take the wind out of your sails because you think you've yeah. got them, and then they get you, and they get all of it back on one play. That definitely is demoralizing.
2: Yeah, so I think Brandon Staley, you're going to see a lot of teams, and he learned that from I think like he adapted some stuff he learned from Fangio mm-hmm. um, doing that. So I think you're going to see that shift, especially as we get into these pass happy um, offenses. I mean, look at the the Bucks. We're doing like they're running like cover six, cover seven. Um, the Rams are running a bunch of cover six, cover four um, against these teams that, you know, are just pass happy. I think the way, because, of, because of the adjustment the offense has made, like, hey, let's throw it. The defenses need to stop their old mindset of let's stop the run first and make them one-dimensional, blah, 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 that you hear every defensive coach say. No, no, no. Let's stop what they're doing well first. Like, yeah. if you're the Ravens, if you're playing the Ravens, cool. Stop their ground attack. Kill you. you play the Chiefs. I don't give a damn about Clyde Edwards West. You need to stop Tyreek and Travis. Like and that's what teams figured out with Seattle last year and they tried the same thing with Buffalo. Um, that's why ultimately being a balanced attack matters, but like your defense should be designed to stop what the other team does best and what's more likely to kill you. A more likely to kill you is a forty yard pass. So you yeah. should design your defense not to give up explosive passes. Like it's very simple. Um, and so I think the way the way we see more defenses doing that is going to uh, – honestly, that might be running backs valuable again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But right now, that's what every defensive coordinator should be doing unless you're playing against, uh, like, the Ravens or the Browns who have gone, like, back into the 50s with their their
1: offense. Right. You know, it's it's actually the philosophy that won the Giants the Super Bowl back in Super Bowl twenty five when they beat the Buffalo Bills. I remember watching America's game on the NFL Network and – uh, they came in, I forget, I think it was Belichick who was who was doing the commentary or somebody says that, uh, you know, Belichick comes into the defensive room and, you know, getting ready for the Super Bowl, and he says, if if we're going to win this game, Thurman Thomas is going to have to run for over 100 yards because we have to stop that K-gun, uh, you know, shotgun, no-huddle offense that the Buffalo Bills were killing everybody with. So they had to take away that passing game, and that meant them letting, you know, Thurman Thomas run uh, for, you know, as many yards as he did. And, and frankly, it almost worked against him, like you said. Uh, you know, Thurman Thomas was, and he was a Hall of Famer, and they were running like a, the two pass rushers and, and dropping nine back into coverage to stifle uh, that pass play or that pass game to take away the K-gun and force the ball into Thurman Thomas's hands. If Scott Norton or Norwood hits that field goal and Buffalo Bills' win, Thurman Thomas is probably the MVP of the game because he had like 120 yards rushing and a touchdown uh uh in that one and you know but it was a philosophy that that won that the giants who were the un- a big underdog going into that game because they shut down the passing game where they sold out for the passing game and left the you know like run the ball all you want we're gonna stop for the pass that's where we're selling out
2: yeah and i mean and the super super bowls are what we use as, like the, the ultimate example and i, I think i just used one as well but i just think like even you just take the median offense yeah like it's gonna throw I think only the Titans were like maybe under 50% on like neutral situations, neutral, meaning like scratch two minutes and then scratch like third down, which most teams throw on. Right. Anyway, it's like a neutral situation. Now the team's getting blown out or winning by a gazillion. The teams uh, on average, I think I would guess without looking at it that a team's throwing it about 50, uh, 57% of the time. Like it's you're more often than not going to get uh, a pass. So like while you have that, Um, In a a time where the the most stable thing about offense, year to year, you just take any given year, what is more likely to carry over? It's quarterback play and your passing offense. Mm -hmm. You have a really efficient passing offense and you keep the same personnel. That is the thing that's going to consistently uh, continue year to year. Uh, We have like decades of data to bear that out. So while that's true, I mean, independent of who plays in the Super Bowl, like if you start a team from scratch, Um, just a blind, like, expansion team. Like, hey, let's try to build the most efficient passing offense we can. Let's start there. Doesn't mean we're not going to run it, but we should start there. And then if you're starting with your defense, like, all right, let's try to make sure our passing defense is really, really, really efficient. Like that. And you, now if you look at that and you look at the best teams, um, in the league over, I'd say last like 20 or so years, like that bears out. Not to say these teams weren't good at running or run defense. Um, but you look at the, you take the most efficient, not just counting stats, like total yards or whatever, or total sacks right? or like really get into efficiency numbers on either side of the ball. That all bears out. Even a team like the Titans. Now, Ryan Tannehill has been a top five quarterback the last two years, right? It's not just Derrick Henry. Their most, their, their most important player is, uh, it's Tannehill. Even mm-hmm. if their best player is Derrick, the most important player is the guy who has been like leading in like touchdown percentage, like over the last two
3: seasons. So, yeah.
2: Uh, That that bears out and so you have to build each side of the ball accordingly so yeah whether you're stopping the pass or building a passing off this is where you should start i don't want anyone to hear that and think mike don't care about the run game i do (laughs) but we got i also care about you know being uh efficient that's the way to go in any sport you should try to like get on base efficiently score runs efficiently like you should try to score baskets in the nba efficiently you should try to score touchdowns efficiently. Like it's all, you don't want to have wasted energy and wasted motion. That's just, that's just stupid. That's how you get fired.
1: Right. Right. All right. So as we wrap things up here with you, Mike, I appreciate the time. Uh, Let's go through the schedule uh, real quick. You got the uh, AFC South and the NFC North. That's why we're talking because you're playing our division uh, this year. Uh, Speaking of the South, you got Indy and Tennessee right off the bat then our Indy, at, Indy on the road, Tennessee at home, then back-to-back road games at Minnesota, at San Francisco, and then a quick turnaround at the Rams on Thursday night, and then uh, the last uh, couple of games before the bye week. You stack those uh, those primetime games, one on top of each other. you got Thursday night, then 10 days later, Sunday night football at Pittsburgh, and then home for the Saints on Monday night football. I don't think I've seen... A schedule like that before, where they stack up, you're going to see the Seattle Seahawks in prime time no matter what for pretty much most of the month of October.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge i I'm not a huge like analyze schedule too far out guy because things change. So sure. Much. Yeah. I mean, this time last year, if you looked at Seattle schedule, like wow, that week 17 game against the Niners is going to be a doozy, right? And then it featured like Nick Mullen. <laughs> you know, and the and the game had no fans. And the game wasn't even in Santa Clara. It yeah. was in, like, Glendale. Yeah, right? it was, so it wasn't was it? Like, yeah, the life just I mean, look how many things changed about that game. Uh, there was no Jimmy G in it, no George Kittle, no Nick Bosa. It was no longer even being played in California. Uh, like, and it meant nothing to either team. Seattle yeah. had already quit the division, and the Niners could not make the playoffs. So, and that's just an extreme example of, like, games that just – uh, everything can just change. In this time last year, if you'd have looked at Seattle's week two schedule and be like, ah oh, man, no Tom Brady. This Patriots game might stink. And then they get Cam Newton, uh in like early July, and it's like, oh damn. Now that game's tight. And it honestly was one of the better games of the year. Uh, yeah. we schedule last year. So you just you just never know. I'm I'm looking uh, just kind of looking. It'd be nice to see Trevor Lawrence think he comes here. Um when they play Julio and AJ Brown. I think that is in week two. That, that yeah. seems like it'll be a pretty, pretty fun matchup. Carson Wentz has never beaten the Seahawks, like ever. So uh, playing him week one uh, should be should be kind of fun. The uh on Seattle should have their jugs machines uh, out uh, that we could practice before that because they'll give them some chances. The uh, only thing I'm kind of on the schedule, I'm just looking like, right, man, it's so weird to predict a team going like 11-6 or something. Yeah. Or 12-5. It just doesn't feel right. Like, Not at all. You know, I don't know how to like. I, I was predicting like one team and I was like, yeah, they might go four and 13. I was like, ew, that's <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Like, that, that just seems like a lot more demoralized than four and 12. It's just, it's just one more loss. So, yeah, it's, that's just really, really ugly. Like, I don't know what the ex- expectations up there in Chicago, but like, I'd probably say like a nine and eight years. Yeah. And then, like, but even then, nine and eight, ew, that seems just, it's, 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 it feels weird to write or
1: even think about. Right, and that's a regular season record. That's not if we're trying to get creative and throwing the, you know, the playoff appearance in there, and that's your record nine and eight or, uh, or anything like that. No, it's that's that's uh, what you got to do to finish out the, uh, the regular season. So, the the one that I was interested in is is have have the the Seahawks beaten Green Bay in Lambo, yet?
0: Um,
2: I mean, ever, yeah, sure, but not not with Russ. Right, uh, Russ is Russ is like uh, I forget what he is there, but it's it's not good. Yeah, he, he's he uh, he's got a loss there in twenty seventeen, a loss there in twenty sixteen. We threw like five picks, um, and he's got a loss there in the playoffs. So yeah, that that'll be a big one. I already got my hotel booked for uh, for Green Bay, looking nice. forward. Um, to not being in a snowstorm, if I go there like I was last time for that for that playoff game, um, the Bears one I'm kind of interested, yeah. um, and I want to. I'm interested in all the times that they're going to play the rookie QBs, man, because I I've developed this like I'm on like the opposite end of the spectrum I think as, as a massive in that I really am in favor. If you take a guy in the first round, you are foolish to sit him behind someone you don't think is the future. Mm-hmm. I really just don't think that's even like a good idea. It very rarely works. When you think about it, yeah, I, I tell people that um, I've been arguing with people in Chicago about this and San Francisco. Uh, and they're like, ah, what about Mahomes? It's just like, guys, A, that's one time that it may have worked. B, I think we need to go back and look at that 2017 season. Knowing what we know about Mahomes, was it really the right idea to sit him that whole year? Like They ended up losing in the playoffs to like Tennessee or something like yeah, they that did. where Mariota was. He threw a touchdown to himself, right? From accident, yeah. Like that's the team they were losing to. I think that was at home too. They yeah, lost that. and
1: they were winning that game by like seventeen points, and Tennessee came on like in the late third, early fourth quarter to take the lead and win that game.
2: Right? Does Mahomes? If you give him Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, who I believe was the offensive rookie of the year, maybe maybe it was uh, Kamara, but either way, Kareem Hunt was nasty that year. You have Travis. You have a uh, Tyreek, and like is rookie Mahomes struggle probably not By by january of 2018 he's probably like real close to being an mvp mahomes at that point i just think that game action actually would have been better for him like how much did he really get better sitting behind alex smith for 16 weeks so i don't even, i don't even think that example holds up like yeah it looks fine now like it worked out but if i was Andy, like I'd hop back in a time machine nah man i would just start this this mahomes kid week one because not only are you burning a year of when he's cheap which i feel like people forget about that point, right um you're just setting your whole clock back of the bears right? Let's use bears exactly you play andy all right justin Fields cap hit is whatever this year it's pennies for the most part for a quarterback mm-hmm. all right boom you start him next year 2022 you know you're not winning the super bowl in 2022 but your rookie court you just you just not like even Mahomes could not get there it just doesn't it doesn't happen um so, all right. Now you have got two years of Justin Fields on the cheap, and you you, you ain't sniffed the you, you ain't championships. championship, right? So then you're hoping that in his third year, that's like, all right, this is our first time uh, having a chance to win a championship with our quarterback that we that we traded up to get, or even if you didn't trade up, you know, just that you use the first round pick on. I think that's a bad use of resources. And and when you look at a lot of these quarterbacks. The dudes they're playing behind when they suck. you Really don't want your guy learning from him that much. Right. You know, like it's it's one thing to be behind Tom Brady or Russell Wilson or even an Aaron Rodgers, right? That's just kind of how, you know, there's things to be learned. I'm not sitting nobody behind Andy Dalton. I'm I'm just not. I don't want you learning what he learned, right? Because so learn what he learned got him fired from jobs. Right? Like he was the reason Cincinnati kept getting to the playoffs and then not getting any right Right, i think and then if you go talk to some of these quarterbacks getting there's nothing that i know they use the term mental reps or whatever there is nothing that beats being on the field getting first team reps from the jump like you look at a guy right now like um my man trevor trevor's gonna be ahead of his other rookie peers maybe not better i don't know that but if you got to split the times and you're taking the second team reps like um like Mac Jones is doing, and um, like Trey Lance is doing. Nah, man, you need those first-team reps with a first-team O-line and a first-team center and the starting receivers. That stuff matters. Those reps matter. In-game reps matter. Throw your guy into the fire and see what he's good at, see what he's bad at. Collect that information and find out, hey, he actually stinks. We drafted Jamarcus Marcus Russell. Let's move on. <laughs> or you like, oh, we drafted Justin Herbert, and he's a stud let's roll with this or, like that information collecting matters so much in these scenarios. Like the Dolphins did it all wrong. They only got like eight games or two or whatever. Now it's like, Ooh, damn, now we got to make a tough call. Whereas if you'd have started him from the jump, you'd have a better sense of a better assessment of the strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you'd have a full 16 game be like, Hmm, this is our guy. or This is not our guy. Like it would be very, be very apparent uh, at, at that point. So I think, the, the collecting of that information, knowing whether you need to move on, knowing if you need to upgrade uh, coordinators or tackles or get him another receiver or a tight end, it's much easier to do all that from the jump. Where it's like holding it off. Waiting. That's a long way to say, like, play your, play your rookie. Uh, I think every team who took one in the first round should play.
1: Well, you know what? It's the um, Nagy and company were pretty adamant about Dalton being the starter before they drafted fields and even after but that you kind of see in them also kind of throwing out this bone that they're kind of softening on the idea because a week or two ago they threw out the the phrase that uh they're not going to sit fields just to sit him you know he's not if he turns out that he's the best quarterback on the team then he's going to play sooner rather than later which kind of leaves the window open because Andy Dalton hasn't exactly been lighting things up in OTAs uh, thus far and Justin Fields has been impressive to say the least and you know kind of opening it up that if he goes out there if Andy Dalton goes out there and has a Mike Glennon-esque uh, preseason which was an utter disaster um, when when he was the his, his first throw as the Bears quarterback in the preseason was a pick six he throws a pick six to the Broncos they run it back the other way Before the end of the half, they bring Trubisky out because that was his rookie year. He leads the team on a two-minute drill for a touchdown right before the half and then starts the second half, leads another touchdown drive uh, again. And it was just like, so why do we have Mike Lennon on this team? Obviously, this kid Trubisky is the best quarterback on the team. He should be playing, and it took us until like week five to finally uh, get him out there. I don't think the Bears are going to make that mistake. If Dalton comes out there and craps the bed in the preseason – I think we might see Justin Fields week one against the Rams.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the part the the, the – it goes back to what I said earlier. If you're sitting him behind a guy who you don't – who you know is not the future, what are you doing? Yeah. Right? That's, just, that's my thing. That's really, it's the, the Niners fans are having a problem grasping this concept because they think they can win games with Jimmy G when their only year of ever winning things with Jimmy G is when they have the best defense. Yeah. You know, so it's like if that's what you need to win with the guy, which it is, then that's just wrong. Like, if the Bears know, hey, man, Andy's Andy's probably not going to be our starter in 2022. All right, so then just play the guy who is going to be then. Like, get him those reps while he doesn't cost you anything. Like, it's it's, it's very simple. And if I'm Maggie, I'm just going all in on this guy because it's like, look, if it doesn't work, I'm getting fired. Yeah. So I got nothing to lose. You know, same thing with pace. Like, if this, does, if this does doesn't work, let's just – we're, we're out of here anyway, so let's just go down and swing it. Andy Dalton is not going down swinging. Like that, that's not so. If I was that, would be my advice to those guys. I don't care what the dude dudes look like in, in camp, really. Like, play, you need to see your investment out there, see what he looks like, and just go for it. Who knows? All right? Who knows? Maybe he looks like maybe he looks like a stud. And if he stinks, like I said, everyone gets fired, and then you take another quarterback the next year. That's just kind of how it, it works. You you don't need to waste your time on it.
1: Yeah, the NFL is a lot more cutthroat these days than it was. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, when a guy could be a backup for six years before he became uh, the starter, you know, it, it didn't have to be that immediate investment or return on investment with the quarterbacks, especially, you know, like I look at a guy like Steve Young, who was a backup at San Francisco for six years behind Montana before he finally, uh, you know, took over and then had a Hall of Fame career after that uh, kind of thing. You well, just, yeah, the
2: just, difference back then, too, was the, the, the salary cap.
1: Oh, yeah absolutely yeah yeah that that
2: was that was a huge thing too like there's more incentive to get your guy out there earlier now Mm -hmm. um because he's he's on minimum wage effectively whereas like yeah before you could sign a draft a guy and then like we're gonna give him 100 million dollars today
3: like, well
2: you know that was then you it could go either way so with the new cba there's really no reason for you to just be sitting your guy if the guy in front of him is not the future Right. yeah, yeah. there there's, there's
1: there's just there's just no point so Godspeed to the bears, yeah, I want to see him out there sooner rather than later. I'm just uh kind of you know terrified that we might uh you know ruin him just because we have not had any luck whatsoever with quarterbacks, so that's the only thing that that's kind of making most bear fans antsy about the idea of throwing him out there uh right away, so I think I personally think he could handle it, and that we in our we'd be in our best position. To put him out there, but like I said, it, it just it makes me nervous because you know we threw Trubisky out there too early. We've you know other quarterbacks and, and it just didn't work out for us. So I think that's why most Bear fans lean to the side of let him sit and learn before we have to throw him out to the Wolves. Because I don't think there isn't a Bear fan out there that doesn't think Fields is going to play in twenty twenty one. I don't think there is one that doesn't think he's going to play this year for one reason or another. It's just a matter of when is uh, I think what makes Bear fans you know, waiver
0: on the idea.
2: Well, well, you know what the other problem is that the teams do is they do probably what the Bears are going to do and then wait till their starter gets like hurt. Yeah. And then you are legitimately throwing him into the, to the world. Right. Like what happened with Justin Herbert, the Chargers got there, that their ass saved that he ended up being good. He basically just threw him out there with no first team reps all week. I think Tyrod got his lung punctured or something like, yeah. so he had no prep, threw him out there and it just so happened to work against the defending champs. That's such a blessing. That does not go like that. Yeah. It is much better to give them the reps now instead of like even the Dolphins. I'm arguing with Dolphins can't about this. They're like, oh, you know, Tua got two weeks in the bye week to, to prep. Uh, you know, like, no, do no, you guys know a bye week works? All the players leave. Even last year, they didn't leave, but because they couldn't protocol. They, right. Not, they couldn't practice. You don't practice on the bye week. So Tua didn't get two weeks, got three days, <laughs> just like every other quarterback does in the week. To, to practice and play for against the best team best defense in the league the Rams uh, at the time like that's doing your guy a disservice why don't you just give him a whole preseason give him a whole offseason as the number one guy um, to get right he'll learn way more that way and like I understand like before he's ready to be thrown to the wolves like if he's going to be a starting quarterback there's wolves every damn <laughs> right that's just kind of how it, it works yeah. if you can't just wait till you play the 32nd ranked defense throw him out there he would be like, oh, okay, cool, he's good. No, man, throw him out there against get the best defense. That's actually when you really learn about your guy, right, because then it really is up from there because he's not going to play sucky defenses every week. I don't really believe – you can do that in college, I think. Start your guy against, you know, uh, some HBCU in week one. Cool. Get your guy's confidence up. He's a true freshman or whatever. I feel that. These are grown-ass men. He needs to be ready against the Rams, the Vikings, the Chiefs, the Patriots, whoever. Um, there's just, there's so much, he'll be so much uh, more equipped to succeed versus sitting there, uh, you know, doing nothing, getting no reps all week in practice, maybe even doing scout team stuff. Like that doesn't, that doesn't help throwing the football to your teammates (laughs) is how you get better at quarterback. That's just really how it works. Playing against another defense where the guys are on the same payroll as you, that is how you get you get better. Like the learning part doesn't matter, but hey, see, I got a secret for everybody. You can learn and play at the same time. <laughs>
3: <Seen
2: it. laughs> They're not mutually exclusive ideas. right? You know, Tua could have learned from Fitzpatrick and played. Because you know what he was doing while he was playing? Learning from Fitzpatrick. You know, he didn't just stop learning from him because he started playing.
1: Right. I get it, man. You're uh, you're turning me. That's for sure. Um,
2: that's my goal, man. I want Chicago and 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 uh, Niners fans on board with me on this. Play your rookie. Play your rookie.
1: Yeah, I'm not against that. And the funny thing is, uh, my fears is based on what's happened in the past. But I think there's just something different about Justin Fields. There's just a different vibe about this kid than than any other. You know, I mean, the Bears haven't spent many first round picks on quarterbacks or just in young quarterbacks in general. But the ones that we have brought in, there's just a different, like a swagger to this kid. Like he's already been through the ringer as far as he's played in the SEC. He's played in the big 10. He's played in the, you know, the college football playoff. He beat Trevor Lawrence head to head, uh, this past year. He should have beaten him a year ago. If his receiver doesn't drop the touchdown in the end zone, uh, in, in the semifinal two years ago, you know, he's he's been under the bright lights, he's been through the he's been through it all. It's been put on his shoulders from high school and he's managed to, to still be the best of the best and, and get to where uh he is now. So it's like I think there's something different about Fields that uh he could handle it if we threw him to the Wolves week one against the Rams, who were last year's NFL's best defense.
2: Uh yeah. No, I mean if it helps I'm not no QB evaluator, but I talked to people before the draft who Like Fields might be actually the best dude in the draft of all the QBs. That includes Lawrence. So you never know. It wouldn't be the first time that like the order of the talent didn't match the order in which they were drafted. Right. right? Well, I mean, that's we've, we've seen a gazillion examples of how that just is not always
1: true. And one in particular back in 2017 when we took Trubisky number two and Mahomes came off at 10, and uh, Watson came off at 12, if we could do that one over again, it would not go that way this time. So, you know, yeah, and, the and also – 2018
2: draft is the yeah. same way. Yeah, 2012 right. draft. Uh, I mean, maybe Colts fans still would want luck, but, I mean, a lot of people would probably just take Russ. And even then, even if you still want luck first, you're definitely taking Russ next, and you're not taking RJ, 3 Brandon Weed, and the Ryan. Smith. Right. You know, like, it doesn't it, – 2016 draft, everyone would take Dak now, not Goff or Wins. So – Right. there's there's, there's examples almost every year. How the order goes in the draft is not informative in terms of who's going to be the most talented. It doesn't work like that. Yes, indeed. Who knows? Maybe Fields ends up being the best guy.
1: Knock on wood from your lips to God's ears, my friend. From your lips to God's ears. Mike, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. We really appreciate uh, all the time. Uh, It's going to be a while before we get a chance to talk again since the Bears and the Seahawks are playing the day after Christmas. So, six months from now or more before we get a chance to to talk. And I, and I hope that we can get it arranged to have you back on to to preview that game and, and see, you know, number one, who's the quarterback, who's the plan, does this game mean anything for either team? Most likely something for the Seahawks, maybe nothing. For the Bears, who knows? We'll have to wait uh, and see. But I look forward to uh, getting a chance to talk to you and having you back on the show again. All
2: right, man, appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
1: And uh, where can we find you online, find your work?
2: Uh, uh, just follow me on Twitter, at Mike Dugar. Um, uh, my, all my stories, or you can find them on my author page. But my author page for The Athletic is just in my bio on Twitter. So, And then I always pin my podcast to the top of my profile, too. So my Twitter is kind of that, like, just one-stop shop to get all my stuff.
1: And is it an athletic podcast, or do you do an independent one?
2: No, it's a uh, Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast. We're on The Athletic, but we're also on Spotify. We're on Apple. Like, If you get podcasts, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you'll be able to find us. Seahawks
1: Man to Man. All right, Mike. Thanks so much uh, for your time. We'll talk to you again real soon. All right, man. See you. <laughs> And once again, want to thank Mike uh, Mike Dugar from the Seattle uh, Athletic for for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge. Looking forward to having him back on. Uh, seeing if we can figure it out because it's the day after Christmas that the Bears and the Seahawks play all the way up in the uh, Pacific Northwest there uh, in Seattle and you know the, the, the fandom and you know the 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 12th man up there in Seattle one of the more ominous places uh, to play a road game uh, in the NFL and, and how that will be humming that time uh, of year when the season is pretty much going to be decided and how important of a game will this be for either squad or will it be important for both or, or anything like that very Interested to see where we're at at that point in the year and looking forward very much to having Mike uh, back on the show. So and that's going to do it for the NFC West guys we are moving right along now we move on to the AFC North Uh, first up will be Lindsey Patterson from the Cincinnati Inquirer to help us preview the Bengals then uh, it's all locked on from there we got Jeff Lloyd from Locked on Browns Kevin Ostriker from Locked on Ravens and Christopher Carter from Locked on Steelers before we move on to our SB Nation guys Jeremy Reisman Evan Western, Chris Gates uh, for the NFC North and then wrapping up with Lauren Cox from Locked on bears to uh preview our beloved chicago bears and wrap up the 2021 opponent preview series so uh, it'll be 15 episodes by the time we're all done this one is number seven eight more to go so we're basically at the halfway point here uh chugging right along and and getting uh getting where we need to go so uh be sure to uh, check us out on Monday uh, when Lindsey and I will help preview the Bengals and how they're going to bounce back. Uh, you know, will Joe Burrow be 100 and ready to go at the beginning of the season after the ACL tear? And what other? You know, was it a good idea to go with Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell? Uh, you know, the offensive tackle that could have uh, you know t- uh, took care of his uh, you know covered his backside and things like that, or reunite him with his favorite weapon. Uh, from college so as a former offensive lineman I would have gone with Pene Sewell because it's pretty hard to hit a guy when he, whether or not he's wide open when you're throwing from underneath a pile of defenders but that's just me so we'll see what Lindsey uh, has to say about that to kick off the AFC North and moving right along uh, in the opponent preview series so come back on Monday from me and Lindsey Patterson previewing the Bengals and until then my name is Larry D and this has been the Bears Talk Underground
4: Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
4: There's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?